The Yaku Pop Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Yaku Podcast. My name is Matt Emery, and Happy New Year, Happy 2017, because this is the first podcast of the year so far. Um, this is a very special podcast, um, another label podcast where I get to chat to Kev of Big Scary Monsters and for those of you who might not know, he also is the um, co-runner of Alcopop Records as well. So um, he's currently got a pop-up shop in Hackney to celebrate 200 releases on Big Scary Monsters and 16 years or so. Um, they're going to be around for the next couple of weeks, Kev's going to speak a bit more about it um, after our first song so you know what's going on, they've got performances of in-stores from a lot of bands and, and all sorts of stuff going on um, but I also speak to Kev about what inspired him for starting up BSM um, his first radio plays from John Peel what is Kevcore the origins of Alcopop and how him and Jack met and how they started the label and and how things are going um, tips for unsigned bands and artists and lots of news about upcoming uh, releases and what's upcoming for the label for 2017 um, first up we have this new single from Sorority noise it's an absolute banger it's called no halo
so yeah we've kind of got two celebrations this year um, it's we're hitting 200 releases and it's our sweet 16th birthday so it's kind of I, we've been talking about it for maybe six months now trying to figure out how we should celebrate and we just couldn't settle on a good idea and when we actually thought we had one logistically it couldn't come together it was actually a really bad idea so and then I think it was um, maybe back in about September time it was one of those kind of 2am ideas where I woke up and I was like I want to open a pop-up shop I want loads of the bands to come we're gonna drink beer we're gonna have dogs come in we're gonna sell a load of vinyl and it's basically all the things we like doing but just under one roof and I was just like this is it I was completely set on it we then went out and looked at uh, premises location all over London and just at the point we thought it wasn't going to work out we went to visit Hackney Down Studios and it was it was perfect it's kind of a little bit off the beaten track for some people I guess it's kind of deep into Hackney but we, we quite like it we're going for a bit of a high fidelity model here you know we, we're kind of making it hard for people and, and they've really got to want it so. I was going to say it's not as hard I've come down this morning mm-hmm. and like I thought looked at it on the map but then it's actually not even half as far as you think it's kind no. of no and it's, it's right by um, Shacklewell Arms uh, birthdays five ten minute walk away so there's a lot of people who are, would I, I think would want to come down who maybe know that area a bit more than they realise um, so we went in and set up yesterday we opened a few hours ago today and it's great it's just it's just somewhere fun for us to hang out um, and we're basically doing everything that we'd normally do in our office in Oxford but here instead um, being exposed so people can see what you do yeah a little bit so yeah people are going to see behind the curtain now and it's a bit worrying you know we were all sitting on the floor listening to demos slating them earlier so that's yeah, <laughs> a good start to the day um, so yeah over the next two weeks we have have a load of in-stores we've got uh, modern baseball tall ships dower sleep beach slang kevin divine and narwhals all coming in to play live which is a lineup that i'm really really proud of because i think yeah i'm I'm quite excited and i'm not gonna lie there was part of me that likes the idea of putting together a lineup which we can put on a poster and advertise online and i wanted to see people in texas and wherever in the world just being like why the fuck is that not here and um i think we've done that um beyond that we've got tiny moving parts coming in to run a cocktail bar which is one of my more interesting ideas and it honestly i'm expecting a i don't know a smoking pile of rubble (laughs) it's it's really not going to go well i'm pretty sure uh basically the concept of that one is the band are going to come in we are going to give them some money to go shopping in some wherever they want to in hackney which for anyone who's been to hackney will know there's some interesting options they're they're going to buy whatever drink takes their fancy they're going to mix it up and create a cocktail they'll name it and then people can come down and the band will be serving it. So I've bought them uh, everything from cocktail sets to umbrellas to fancy cocktail glasses to Hawaiian shirts, <laughs> which they don't yet know about. Um, and, and yeah, we're just going to just give these drinks out. I mean, we're taking there's, there's going to be a big disclaimer that if anyone gets sick, that is definitely not our fault. <laughs> um, and yeah, so we're, we're doing that. They've got a day off on tour, uh, so they're coming in. I think the guys from Pup might be coming down to sample the cocktails. So, um, considering they're on tour together, that could be the beginning and end of that said run. Um, and then beyond that, we have our friends Awesome Merchandise coming down to sort of do screen printing lessons. Uh, people can print their own t shirts and tote bags. 
Uh, we've got Signature Brew have given us a load of beer. The yeah. delivery just turned up. Delivery. Yeah. <laughs> so that was very nice to them. So we've got uh, a load of beer. Um, we've got a dog day. We have dog day, which a lot of people are excited about. Um, I'm feeling a bit of pressure on that day actually now because we've advertised it and people have seen the poster and be like, amazing, dog day, I'm going in. Yeah. At the moment, we are exclusively human. Um, I think i'm bringing my dog a uh, little little ron um he is the only dog confirmed to appear on dog day so far <laughs> Pretty sure there'll be more. i hope so uh, the idea is we'll have 10 or so dogs just running around going mad and um we'll see how it goes yeah <laughs> basically we have ideas of how we're going to expand this over the next yeah. couple of years if it goes well we have dog shirts for sale um there's going to be treats and toys and basically people can come in drink a beer buy some vinyl and pet a dog which as far as Sunday afternoons go, I think that's pretty that's good. Amazing. Yeah, so that's that's the gist of what we're doing for the next two weeks, really. Um, it's, it's pretty busy. Um, on top of that, we have a number of the bands who are coming in for instores are also playing shows um, at some pretty big venues. I mean, we have Modern Baseball headlining the Forum to a couple of thousand people. We've got um, Time Even Parts are out with the Wonder Years and Pup. Kevin and Beach Slang are doing headline shows. Narwhals and Doubt Sleep are just down for fun, really. Yeah. Tool ships as well. Um, yeah, so there's loads of stuff going on in and around London for these two weeks, and it's um, it's fun. I'm taking the week off after, though, so don't expect to hear from me first week of Feb. <laughs> so if it's okay, we'll start um, where I normally start with these sort of label podcastings, kind of at the beginning. Okay. So, like, how did BSM first start? I know you started at kind of college days, mm-hmm. and, like... How did you first get the idea? Is it something you've always wanted? Or? Um, I kind of actually forgot how we started. And I was explaining this in, in another interview last week. And I said, like, oh, yeah, that's that's actually insane. Um, I was at Sick Form uh, running a little zine, uh, which was called um, Always Echoes, which is named after a Llama Farmer song. Yeah. We were a 90s indies band who was signed to Beggars and were supposed to be huge and weren't. But they were great. Um that was actually how me and Jack first bonded but we'll get onto that in a minute <laughs> um, and so I was running that little zine where I was like hand drawing pictures of bands and stuff we were limited to about 30 copies which were photocopied in a garage in the, by some guy in the village I lived in and I thought that was kind of my entry to the music industry I guess um, and I just thought this is cool but I can't play an instrument I bought an acoustic guitar and tried to play Plug In Baby by Muse I tried it I think for about half an hour couldn't do it gave up that was the first and last time I attempted anything to do with being in a band and so I kind of thought well I don't really enjoy running a zine I can't be in a band what's the next best thing I'll start a label I didn't even know what a label did um, and a friend of mine had wanted to do the same thing and he wanted to call it Big Scary Monsters so we decided to work together I kind of wanted to call it Always Records but he went out on the name thing and then he just quit immediately so I was just left with this label with a terrible name um, which, look, at, you know, in hindsight, I should have just immediately reverted to the name I wanted, yeah. but I stuck with it. And 16 years later, I still hate having to ring somebody up. And, you know, when the receptionist says, oh, who may I ask to call in? I'm like, just, you can't ask. <laughs> I'm a 33-year-old man, so this is Kevin from Big Scary Monsters. It's embarrassing. Um, so that was kind of how it started. For the first year or two, the label really just existed in that I walked around my small town saying to people, hey, everyone, I've got a record label. Yeah. And then, after a while, I realised I needed bands. Um, <laughs> so, it was a stupid start. Uh, I was working part-time at a supermarket. Um, I'd finished sixth form by this point. Uh, I was earning 
literally nothing. And then my parents decided to put my rent up to about 50 quid a month more than I was earning. So I had to get another job. So I went out and got a job at a phone company, which was supposed to be two days of temping, ended up being there for two and a half years. And during that time, I think I hated that job. I, I stuck with co-op as well, and I hated both of those jobs so much, it just kind of drove me on to do the label. I was working nine to five at this trading estate, like selling people phone services. I was working six till 10, stacking shelves, and then from sort of like quarter past 10 till I fell asleep doing the label. And so after a couple of years, like, that's enough. I quit that and haven't really looked back since. That was kind of the beginning of it. And by that point, we were lucky enough to have picked up some bands who had done just a, a, just well enough, I guess, to keep me interested and have just a little bit of money rolling in so that we could afford the next release and, and so on. And and that kind of describes the first few years. We, so the first band we signed was called Hiding With Girls. Yeah. That was the first one we did as a single. Uh, the single was called Marty McFly. Yeah. Uh, Two-track CD, which we pressed in Australia because I thought that made sense at the time. can't remember why. <laughs> and um, so we, we did that. And they, that did quite well. I remember they had a two-page feature in Kerrang! And things which I never actually thought we'd, we'd achieve, I yeah. suppose, with them. Um, and, and so that was cool. And that, that kind of... I think led us to my awesome compilation, um, who in turn led us to my favourite co-pilot, yeah. and basically a whole string of bands with dreadful names. Um, but each one did pretty well in their own little world. You know, yeah. none of them sort of went on to sell a million records or anything, but they did just as well as, as well as an 18-year-old who knows nothing about music needed his label to do, and, and that kind of took us through the yeah for a little while um and it was there's a nice line which still i think runs through bsm to this day actually where one band kind of leads to the next yeah. back then it was i think miles and compilation supported hide with girls and then they went on out on, oh really <laughs> that is weird um, and then i think they took my favorite co-pilot out on the short tour or at least played a show together and that, that was kind of how it went that was how we were finding each band um and that still pretty much goes on this day. I mean, Kevin Devine is a big sort of like starting point of, I guess, the second generation of the label. Yeah, yeah and I, I mean, you've seen particularly over the years how like the bands we work with are vaguely connected to him. Yeah. And it's kind of spidered out. And that was how it worked in the earlier days as well. Um, and that was always quite nice. That gave us that kind of family feel. I know that's a cliche for a label now, but I do think we've always had that. And certainly at, at specific points throughout the label as well, there's, there's definitely been that kind of family vibe to it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I've seen, obviously, sort of, I've been out on tour with you and Kevin and, and actually going around the actual country, seeing all the bands come in and everyone getting on, everyone knows each other. It's yeah. actually quite a family vibe. It is, yeah, it's nice, and I'm, I, that's one of the things I'm most excited about with this pop-up shop this next couple of weeks, and it's just, it's really nice to have a, an actual focal point where people can come back and we can hang out, and I'm going to see friends I haven't seen for a while, and, and our current bands, it's a real nice mix of old and new, I mean, we've only been open for a couple of hours, and the people that have come in, it's already like that, you know, I've seen yeah, people... Well, I've, I've walked in and I knew everyone in the shop yeah, exactly. away, it's yeah, nice. which is great, you know, and it's just, it's, we've got people like... Like Ryan came and dropped in some sub pop records earlier. I've, I've probably known him for as many as ten years now, and um, then at the same time, uh, Sam came to drop the beer, who I've only known for a couple of years, but he ran the bar at my wedding. So like, it's it has that nice vibe already that everyone's coming in. You know, we all know each other, and it's it's cool. That that does sometimes get lost these days. You know, as things get more about the internet, you know, you can you like somebody's tweet or you comment on their Facebook status, but actually that face to face interaction, you do sometimes you miss it or maybe you don't even realise you miss it until it's a bit too late and yeah. 
and I think that that's quite nice that we're trying to pull that in again this yeah. this week.
I and mean, what did you first imagine when you set it up? Did you did you have the the image of glamour and kind of uh, yeah yeah pure glamour. Um, like I said, I didn't even know what record label did. I just thought it'd make me loads of money and it made me really attractive to girls. Um, and so that was probably the two motivating factors, I think, for it. Um, but then everything's changed hugely around it in that time. Um, obviously, yeah, over the last 16 years, the industry is just yeah, a different place. Now. It's completely different and it's, it's, cons- it's just consistently evolved. I'd say actually in the last year, it's maybe the first time I've actually felt kind of settled maybe ever I mean yeah. when we first got going the internet was still quite new like I like I said I started this label in, in sick form in my second year of sick form in my first year of sick form was maybe the first time I ever went on the internet like this is years ago now I'm an old man like that wasn't the internet wasn't commonplace like it is now and I remember back then trying to sort of you know there was websites which would pop up even pre-social media really where we were discovering what I was discovering bands through and um and that was kind of dictating how, you know, your A&R process would work. So it was the first time, really, that labels were kind of able to sign bands from outside of their geographic region, small labels like that. You weren't relying on just sort of picking up bands from your town or that are passing through it. You could actually discover people from all over the world. So that was exciting. But at the same time, there was this whole thing about sort of digital music. And I remember numerous other labels, weirdly, a lot of them don't really exist anymore, who were just refusing to put their music online. And they were just sort of... They were like people would post maybe like a 30 second sample of a song which you could download and then you buy the CD. Yeah. But there was loads of labels who were like, we're not ever going to post MP3s. We want people to buy the CD. I never understood that. I thought like for me, hearing the music is the best advert you can ask for. I want, I, yeah, I wanted people to hear it. I could write all day long about how hiding with girls sounds or whatever. But if someone actually hears it, then they're going to decide whether they like exactly, it or not. Yeah. But people didn't seem to understand that. So that took a few years. And then obviously you've got like sort of the piracy sort of stage. iTunes began. Yeah, you've gone through Napster. You've gone yeah, LimeWire. Uh, MySpace. Yeah, I, I miss MySpace. I still don't I, think there's a platform as good. I don't think anything's ever been as good as MySpace no. before. I think that was just... Uh, and I kind of wish I'd been older when MySpace was about because I was still so young. Mm-hmm. Like, you just don't realise kind of the power of something until it's gone. No. And I genuinely... I think MySpace was a real defining point and I think it actually again yeah like you said a lot of people maybe didn't realise what they had because that as as a tool whether you're a fan or a band or a label or whatever it was perfectly set up you know if you if someone tells you about a band and you go onto their page and on one single page you've got their music to listen to you've got their tour dates where they're from even things like the top eight which was a really like I think that was even how we discovered Kevin Devine I think I went on to Brand New's page I love Brand New I listened through the bands I didn't know in their top eight because you curated your little scene you basically put it on there for the world to see and you said this is our world this is our scene it's our bubble and, and people got absorbed into that and I don't think any platform has come close to replicating it. And MySpace ate itself. By the end, it was terrible. And, and, and we really lost a good resource. I remember sort of thinking, how do we promote now? It used to be they would post a bulletin and sell some CDs off the back of it. Suddenly, we didn't have that. And it felt, you know, I still don't think Facebook's a particularly... It's a better selling platform than it was. But in terms of, like, bands, it's not the same, is it? It's, it's, no, it's, it's a portal to take you through to other websites, but... You know, they, they tried experimenting with streaming music on there and stuff, and it's just never really worked. So, um, yeah, we, we had that era as well, and, and numerous others. It kind of, it feels like it wasn't so much that the goalposts have been moving all these years. It's just like the game's being reinvented constantly. And, and now finally feels like, like I said, it's settled, there's a bit of a structure. 
and we can actually start to make more plans. So I think looping all the way back around to answer your initial question, <laughs> back when we first started the label, it was just a case of finding some bands and doing some things which maybe was slightly glamorous. Now it's really about using the resources which are, are available to us to, to do what we can to, to find bands first and foremost and then to help those bands grow. Yeah. And, and we do that across a much wider playing field than we used to. You know, we distribute all across Europe. Um, we're, we're about to sign a deal for America. We, we did one in Australia a year ago. Um, within, within a year, we'll be distributing worldwide. And within two years, we'll be, I'd like to think, very good at distributing yeah. worldwide. We'll have figured it all out. And, um, and so I think our targets have changed in line with the tools that we have at our disposal. And, and I think the place we're in right now is the most comfortable I've felt with it and also the most excited. I think, you know, the streaming sort of revolution, I do think, is a good thing. I, I think there are, you know, you, there's arguments that Spotify and people don't pay enough and I'm not sure they've got their pricing structure right yet, which will hopefully change that. But, you know, we've overall seen an upturn in revenue, quite a big one, because of streaming and I think a lot of other people have and, and it opens bands up to a whole new audience worldwide yes. which can't be overlooked massively massively okay before we get onto the alcohol uh, link which mm-hmm. i'm going to ask you all about i did find something that i really wanted to ask you about really made me laugh actually. oh god i, think I read it on gold flake paint right but it's about um john peel okay oh god <laughs> yeah um, story yeah, yeah. Uh, that one um that was i think we had this we had this great couple of months where somebody had given me John Peel's home address and I can't remember who did it or why they did it but it was they said basically if you send something to the BBC he he won't notice it he gets too many records send it to his home and he always plays it and so I managed to prize the address out of somebody I guess and uh, started sending records and we released this split 7 inch from a band called Face for Radio and Stories for Comet Stories and Comets um, who were basically my favourite co-pilot and and so we send that over and I remember <laughs> hearing it and I'd gone to my girlfriend at the time's mum's wedding she was getting remarried and I got a text during the <laughs> during the ceremony saying uh, John Peel played two BSM songs on his show last <laughs> night I was like oh my god this is incredible and as soon as the ceremony was over I made an excuse and left before the reception I was like I don't feel very well I've got to go and I think I ran home, um, which is about two miles. <laughs> and I ran home. And back then, um, it was just the label was run from my family computer, which sat in my mum and dad's dining room. And I put it on and sort of closed the door and I clicked listen back on BBC. And I remember John Peel coming on and sort of saying, oh, this is a, a big scary monster segue. And I sat there, both arms in the air, like, this is the best moment of my life. And then, if I remember correctly, so he played he played one song and called it the wrong name got the, the wrong band name and he played the other song and put it on at the wrong speed which <laughs> yes. was just John Peel's style I think but that's so cool it right? is it's, so, it's, it's perfect because if he had just played it then that would have been amazing obviously but it's just people joke about how he'd put things on at the wrong speed and do you know get things wrong and so the fact that he got two for two on us yeah um I mean, I split up with my girlfriend very soon after. <laughs> that didn't work out, and understandably, looking back, but you know what, fuck it, John Peel played two of our songs and got them both wrong, so it's fine.
we'll get on to the Alpha Link, and I know you have many ventures. You've got Pink Mist, which is a collection of uh, four labels now, isn't it? Yeah, four labels. And you've also got Beach Community, mm -hmm. which just goes more sort of down the punk kind of That's right. uh, line. But we will focus on Alcopop being the Alcopop. Um, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> Yeah, how did you come to set up Alpha Pop and meet Jack, and how did that all come about? Uh, so that... And why, basically? <laughs> it's a bit of a weird story. I think, so after I'd quit my job um, and I was running the label, I wanted to move out of my parents' house and into Oxford City Centre with a couple of friends. And one of them, um, like my oldest friend, we'd been friends since year eight or nine at school. Um, the two of us were moving in together and he had gone to university in Swansea yeah. where he had met a guy who had just recently got a job in Oxford and needed to move to the city. So he was like, well, why don't we get him in as well? Make it a bit cheaper. So I was like, okay, fine. And met up with him and um, we went house hunting together and Ian, my our mutual friend, couldn't make it that day. So I had to go and meet this guy to go and see some properties. And I remember turning up to the first one and walking down the street and just my heart sank because in front of the house we were going to go and view was this guy just sitting there with like long blonde hair, tiny little skinny bright red t-shirt, horrible like record bag. Like he'd, I'm not gonna, he looked like a piece of shit. <laughs> he, he was sitting there with his headphones in. I was like, oh no, Tom that's him isn't it oh, okay we sort of went over and said hello and um, I sat down and I was like and he said oh man uh, my band just recorded last week do you want to have a listen and I was like yeah okay and he gave me the headphones and sorry Jack it was one of the worst things I've ever heard it was it, Jack was a singer at this point in a metal band which is quite surprising I guess to a lot of people who now know Alcapop but he, and it's, well, in fact it's classic Jack he had met these guys in a pub in Coventry got chatting he doesn't even like metal, but they said, do you want to join our band? And he's too nice to say no. So he ends up joining his dreadful metal band. Anyway, so he played him that music and I'm sitting there just looking at him thinking, this isn't going to work out. This is not cool. Anyway, we went to see four or five really bad houses and, um, and then we went for a pub lunch and I remember sitting there sort of thinking, yeah, just, this isn't, I don't know about this. Um, and then I guess he must have said to me, oh, what kind of music are you into? And I said, well, it's mostly quite obscure, like, 90s indie stuff. And he said, sort of like, K. It's like, yeah, like, K. And, and we just went on and sort of named all these bands, like Twist, and just obscure bands that most of my friends had never heard of. Yeah. And we just bonded and from that point on. So like, well, I'll, I'll overlook the fact that he looks like that. <laughs> and he's in that man. <laughs> he's all right. Um, and yeah, we, so the, it ended up four of us moved into a house together. And we all just got on great. And a couple of months after moving in, uh, I had taken out a bank loan because we were due to release the Meet Me in St. Louis debut album. And I didn't have any money because having moved out. So I had taken out this bank loan, which I remember being really pleased with myself. But looking back at it, it was a terrible idea. I took way too much money. I went into the bank thinking I'd need to take like three or four grand. And the guy convinced me to take seven and a half. <laughs> and I just said, yes, okay, signed all the forms, walked away. By the time I got home, the money was in my bank. I felt really rich. And then I just sort of thought, oh no, this, I've got to pay this back and some. Um, this album better do all right. Yeah. <laughs> so I was, I was working on that and that was obviously occupying all my time and I was quite scared about it. And somebody sent me a link to this band called Encyclopedia. two-piece uh, Nintendo core or whatever you called it back there, like the 8-bit sort of generation. And I loved it. They had this amazing album and I really wanted to work with them, but it just didn't feel like it quite fit right with BSM. Yeah. It just felt like a bit of a departure. We were kind of in the, the throes of our math rock stage, I guess. And uh, 
I kind of had an idea of where the label was going and that just wasn't quite right for it and I remember saying to Jack well I kind of want to start a second label up where we can put things where I can put things like this and this seems like a good thing a band that we both loved was a band called Midget and their our favourite album of theirs mini album was called Alcapop so I said to him why don't we start a, why don't we start a new label you run it with me we'll call it Alcapop and we'll release twee indie bands and that was it really I I remember sort of emailing him while he was at work just the idea had hit me and he was like yes I still it and that was that was kind of Alcapop day one really um, and it just went from there we we bought uh, we bought some CDs we were releasing a series of six mini like, three inch CDs which we were burning at home and we were making cardboard sleeves for them so we used to stay up we used to go to this dodgy off license around the corner <laughs> where everything was out of date and we'd basically go in I remember one day we went in and I found a bottle which just it looked like a bottle of reef or something but it just had a little green label on it which simply said orange no other writing just like typed and I said to the guy like, how much for this and he's like I can't sell you that that could be army surplus there could be anything in there I can't sell you it so well, can I have it and he's like yeah you can take it and then we found some uh, bottles of oh, what's it called the little eggnog thing um, oh, uh, I can't remember what they're called disgusting things yeah them and again he was like I can't sell you those so we said well can we have them so, yeah so he gave us about four carrier bags we scraped it all out of the fridge and went home got really sick and just we used to sit there till three four o'clock in the morning watching episodes of Nathan Barley Postman Pat <laughs> ridiculous whatever we could find on sort of channel like four or player or whatever we had and um, and just cutting out these cardboard sleeves and we, we would make those they were all hand numbered but we'd always get drunk and forget where we'd got to so say on a Monday night we'd make one to fifty but we couldn't remember if it was fifty we'd got to so on the Tuesday night we'd start at the top so we'd do three hundred down to two hundred fifty <laughs> So then Wednesday, we're like, well, we've gone from the bottom, we've gone from the top, we can't remember either, so how about we do 100 to 150-odd today? So of those CDs, they're all limited to 300, but I would wager for each one of them, there's probably six number fours, and there's you know, there's probably no, like 200 to 250 probably don't exist. Uh, it was chaos. And we kept everything for Alcopop in this cardboard box, a small sort of... Yeah, uh, the box yeah, it's ridiculous the box. yeah the car, the alka box as we yeah. called it yeah like 12 inch by 12 inch box and did he tell you about the time Tom was sick on it it ruined all our stock yeah, yeah. Uh, that wasn't good so we lost <laughs> that was a bit of a setback for Alka Pop <laughs> that was the kind of level of operation we were running at that point though um, and at the end of our first year we had released these these um, singles and I remember going on the Punktastic forum and people were discussing their albums or singles releases of the year and a num- numerous people were giving credit to Alcopop releases to BSM they were saying oh that Nathaniel Green single is the best single of the year from Big Scary Monsters and I said well that actually isn't BSM so I said to Jack I think what we need to do is separate this a little bit we need to pull the two brands apart and create a monster because I said you need to become the face of Alcopop jackpop and you need to like go out and people need to know you and see this and see Alcopop as a separate entity to BSM which they very much do now and you know now 10 years on when someone says to me and it's, it happens all the time someone says oh I didn't realise you were part of Alcopop part of me is really like proud and pleased because I'm like cool we've, we've successfully split the two and part of me is like what the fuck <laughs> I had so many good ideas for this. Like, I still work on this. This is still this is still my thing. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, that's that's kind of how it got going. Really, that was the beginning stages of, of what you see now. 
We'll get bicycles Right down hills To the river With friends And light candles And tin cans Go on big wheels With stomachs and cartwheels And do kissing On cameras And walk till Our feet hurt And set out In the pouring rain Cause it's years since we spoke or we sat down and talked out our past lives or how we change the world. Alone in the back seat with a satellite and a telephone to tell you that it wouldn't last and we caught the last train. Your faces pressed on glass When I awoke alone In the empty concourse I knew far it couldn't last It never lasts We'll get overcome With distance Sideways glances in cinemas and taxis and get stuck with X long in a condo in a city where it's so cold you can't speak, feel so tired yet so proud of everyone we know alone in the backseat. With a satellite and a telephone To tell you that it wasn't last And we caught the last train To base your faces pressed on glass When I awoke alone In the empty concourse I knew far it couldn't last It never Calls right down hills to the river with friends Like candles and tin cans with a trickling sound I could have been in Burby The loneliest boy in that town That With the satellite and the telephone To tell you that it wouldn't last And we caught the last train To base your faces pressed on glass When I awoke alone in the empty concourse And you thought it couldn't last It never lasts Was there any particular event or kind of release that you suddenly thought, oh, this is kind of a found my niche and this is going to stick around for a bit? I don't think there's ever been a single point. Like, there's been lots of small points, but not one that stands out more than others. I think um, through the years, when we had Meet Me in St. Louis and Second Smile, 
and that led us to this Tony's Guns, Tube Lord, Colour and so on. That was a really exciting, interesting UK scene at that point. And we were right in the middle of it and I think that really kept me going for a good while. Um, probably through to the point where most of those bands were, were gone, but that was really something that came at a crucial time as well because I think for me personally you know I'd started the label when I was 18 I promised myself at 20 I was like I wasn't gonna be doing this anymore and then obviously still was and at 21 and then I said look at 25 I really am gonna get serious I'm gonna quit this get a proper job obviously didn't and I kept promising myself that various milestones and just ignoring it and I think the that whole sort of math rock UK scene really just kept me invigorated for for long enough that we've kind of found our feet and, and figured things out Get Cape was at a similar sort of time as well yeah. we, we signed Sam I think before he played a show we put out his first five releases before he signed to Atlantic and that really like watching him grow and becoming a big thing was incredible yeah I was going to say that must be so kind of proud in a way when you see it really moving like that I suppose when you do work with someone and you actually start seeing it blossom yeah and that, you think that's actually people don't understand how much work and it takes to do that but like it must be very proud to see I, someone that you put that much work in yeah get recognised basically I think that's exactly it. I think it was just, it was nice because we'd worked so hard on so many artists who'd, who'd achieved success in their relative fields, but this one was the first one that really broke out. And I remember going, you know, seeing Sam headlining huge venues. You know, he played the Astoria on his 21st birthday. I think his 18th birthday, I went all the way to South End. He put on an all dayer. I remember getting there after about six hours of traveling and walking in, and this guy was playing a medley of ABBA songs acoustically. And I, I was like, oh, Jesus, that guy from Million Dead, this is, he's got to stick with that band because he is going nowhere on his own. <laughs> so I've obviously always been good at the old A&R. So, um, yeah, Frank Turner kind of worked out, I, I guess, all right. But uh, So that was his 18th. On his 21st, he headlined the Astoria and sold it out, and it was an amazing night. And I saw him playing a yeah, main stage at Reading Festival. I remember standing there watching it, really proud, and... The younger brother of this guy from my school came up to me and was like, oh, no, like, chatting, oh, what are you up to these days? I was like, oh, I run this record label. He was like, oh, yeah, who do you work with? I was like, oh, this guy. <laughs> and he, it blew his mind. And I was just like, actually, this is kind of cool. I like this. So, yeah, things like that were great. And that just really, again, sort of kept me going. I think, I've, you know, it's been my, my full-time job for... I don't know 11 years or so now maybe more um, and it's been uh, you know we've we've got employees and like an office and various overheads and, and a huge catalogue now there's more responsibilities than just muddling through and finding my own way um, so I think in terms of keeping me going and keeping me sort of into the job it's it's more of a sensible thing these days and it's more of a practicality and like yeah. I've, I've got a mortgage you know yeah. I, I have to pay that <laughs> exactly <laughs> you know I have, I have things like these bands these bands need to do well and I think that is the motivation there's still very much a big thing I still love love finding new bands and watching them grow and, and hoping for more of those breakthrough successes I and mean, like I said when you turned up we were, before you turned up we were all just sitting on the floor of the shop listening to demos uh, trying to find the, the next and the one after and the one after that and, yeah. and that's a constant thing and I don't think I'll ever lose that love of trying to find new bands yeah. but yeah. there is, is that, definitely more of us Is that definitely one of your favourite parts of the job is kind of 
thinking sort of when you do get something and you think do you know what this is actually yeah I think when you find a certain band you know when you find something that not just you finds amazing like there's a lot of bands over the years where I've connected with it and I think it blows my mind that other people aren't into it or haven't loved it you know that kind of thing where you want to grab them and shake them it's like how do you not like this as much as I do but sometimes you find a band that other people do like like that I mean Meet Me in St. Louis was one of them I think Tall Ships was another there's certain bands through the the history of the label Narwhals since then a bunch of the American bands would be lucky to work with who it connects and people get it and and that's that's so exciting that's just yeah that still means the world and it's a buzz you can't really explain as you watch them grow yeah yeah can I ask you I hope you don't mind me asking this Kevcore alright does that term annoy you I'd forgotten about that one is it rock sound I think so that was I actually can't remember who started that there was a, a period Roxanne were always good to us like Darren Taylor the initial editor of the magazine was a good friend but still is a good friend and he used to sponsor various BSM tours uh, things and we had a lot of good coverage and then when he he left he got married and, and moved to America with his wife and um a friend of ours called uh, Ben Potashnik took over who it was one of the best men at my wedding yeah. it was very we are very close and he thought it'd be funny uh, one issue to put um, in the review section they would have little kind of like a key sort of like criteria which they'd put next to a record so um, to give you a quick guide as to what that band sounds like and he put the BSM logo in there so anything Mathrock would have the BSM logo next to it and I, I genuinely think that he considered that to be some kind of diss like he thought I'd be embarrassed by that like why like he's printing our logo in a magazine which tens of thousands of people are looking at that's incredible like that's great so no the kevcore thing never annoyed me anything to do with that when people sort of described mathrock or whatever i kind of took it as quite um i don't know but kind of it's kind of flattered in a way i guess because that scene around then like i said was important and it meant a lot to a lot of people and the fact that they considered that me sitting behind my computer in a shitty little shared house doing what i did meant played a part in something that meant so much I don't think you could be offended by that yeah so no and yeah I had actually forgotten about that I'm quite happy that you brought that up (laughs) thanks
producers um, who you know kind of dream of doing sort of music as a job. Right. Like, what would your advice be for someone starting an unsigned band or uh, as an artist today? Like, because obviously you change quite a bit. Like, would you have any advice for someone starting out in space? It's tough. I mean, <laughs> this is really negative, but if I, I wouldn't want to start a record label today. I think it's there's so much competition and people, people kind of discover music their own way now. We're lucky that you know, being 16 years old, there are certain people who will listen to a band because we signed them, yeah. uh, and that is obviously very true for Alcopop as well. It, it carries that kind of stamp of a stamp of approval. Um, but to build a brand these days, I think is tough. And it's similar for artists, you know, it's hard to get out there. I mean, you've got amazing tools at your disposal and people can hear your music everywhere, but to get it out there and to get that ball rolling is difficult. I think you really need to know your audience and know your scene. I think we get a lot of demos from bands who are sort of like, hey, we're a you know, doom metal band from Sweden. Um, here's two songs, neither of them are recorded properly. They're not even our best songs. Yeah. And it's like, well, what the fuck do you want us to do with that? Yeah. <laughs> Honestly. And and you get a lot of also where you people are banned, like bands have clearly just opened up the unsigned guide and just CC'd, not even BCC'd, but like CC'd every label from A to C and then D to F and onwards and just gone for it. And it's just like, hey, we love your roster. Um, will you check us out? And you just you look up and you think there's there's 200 labels listed there. <laughs> yeah. And it's just why are you doing that? I think it's so important that bands need to choose who they want to work with, and that's not just with labels. That's with PR guys, the kind of magazines they want to be in, the people they want, not just booking their shows, not booking agents, but the promoters who actually put those shows on. Yeah. Every element of it needs to be handpicked and controlled. And obviously, there's a point, you know, where. You, you need to try and persuade a booking agent to take a punt yeah. on you which is very very difficult but you shouldn't settle you know just because the agent you think's best for your band says no don't say yes to the one that's come along that's got a terrible roster or yeah. you've only heard bad things about that's yeah. only going to set you back in fact i can guarantee that most of the bands you say yes to that person will split up within a year yeah. because they'll have such a bad time of it and over 16 years we've seen so many bands come and go like that and yeah I think you really got to be careful you, you need to curate everything about it I think the aesthetic of your band as well the imagery you use for your artwork your t-shirts your flyers everything like that yeah. very important we were um, I in think the... some people forget sometimes that as, as, as bad as it sounds you are almost creating a brand at the same you are. time yeah. people buy into that and it's like everything ties together so yeah, there's no absolutely. point putting like I don't know but like yeah. No. No, and also I feel there needs to be a bit of consistency as well. Because yeah, let's say you put flower pot on your on the front cover of your first demo or EP or whatever, and then on the second one there's a painting of a I don't know, a man with a severed head, and then on your third one it's a, a burnt out car, and like just stuff like that. And maybe it's changing from hand drawn pictures to paintings to photos, and your logo changes every time. No one is going to look at it and be like, oh, those three releases are clearly from that band. Yeah. You know, people need to tie this stuff together. People are lazy and fickle, and you need yeah. to hand it to them, and, and you want them to buy into it. I think that one of the bands we work for at the moment, Beach Slang, do it very well. The aesthetic, like James, their singer, he he's a graphic designer, and he, he controls the whole creative side of it. Yeah. And I think their artwork's great, and yeah. it's very them. And that goes from their T-shirts, the records, the flyers, yeah. everything. Which is a massive thing when you see a band, and before you've even heard it, you know it's them. Exactly, it's yeah. Of like 
important. It really is, and it's something that gets overlooked so often. I, I, I don't know why. Um, it, that's, that's the same for labels and other companies as well. I think you know we we are very careful now of our branding. We weren't for a long time, but like you know you, you've you've seen the pop up shop. There's uh, and our website. It's all the same. We have that picture of my dog, and it's orange, white, blue. Yeah. The, the color palette, everything about it. Right now, you won't find anything current for BSM. There's anything outside of that. And, and that's going to be the way. And we have a, a year-long marketing plan where it's going to change four times through the next 12 months. And, but you'll always know it's BSM. Yeah. And, and I think that everyone should be doing that. I'm not sitting here saying, like, we're right and everyone else is wrong. No, but, but it's, 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 yeah, yeah. When, you, when you look at it, like, as we were just saying, that when you look at something and you know it before you've even heard it, yeah. that's important. I, it is, definitely. And I just think... Yeah, people need to consider it. I wish somebody had told me that years ago, I think. But, yeah. 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 So that's that's something I'd definitely suggest to bands. Um, and another one is don't play too many gigs, you know. I, I know you want to get out there and play, but, like, if you're a band from Brighton, it doesn't mean you should be playing Brighton five times a month. You're just you're diluting your crowd. You know, it's, it's not a good thing. Like, again, pick and choose the shows. People will come and they'll enjoy it, and they'll wait two months for your next show or however long. You don't You don't have to be doing it all the time. Yeah. And that's the thing, even if you love playing, it's not healthy if you actually need for someone to come down and see a show and you play three people yeah. when you could play once every two months and play to, even if it's 15 people, yeah. it's still those make a difference. Exactly. It's actually, when we were listening to a demos a couple of months ago, one of the bands that we quite liked, we decided, part of the reason we decided not to pick them up is actually that we feel they've got this wrong in terms of the way they're presenting their bands. And they've been around for two or three years I think now and, and they're just not playing the right kind of shows yeah. they're still going out and doing co-headline tours with bands that just started last week and it's like well for us as a label and I'm sure for other people magazines and stuff as well you want to look at that band and see that something's happening there and it's growing but actually when you look at it and you think oh that band's still playing those venues with brand new bands it's obviously like people aren't that into it or things aren't really clicking or they're just not fussed and you, it's really, you have to be very careful about how you project yourself. And, and you really do need to think about every element of it. Okay, we're going to do a little, because I'm sure a lot of people who listen to this might have only heard of maybe the newer stuff like beach slang or modern baseball. So maybe go over a couple of the older artists and maybe you could give us a quick sentence about some, some of the bands <laughs> that they might not have heard about. So I'll, I'll start with uh, one of my favourite releases on BSM ever. Right. Um, Literally, it's in my, probably in my top ten albums yeah. of all time. Second Smile. Wow. Okay. Uh, Second Smile. They were a very important band for us, and also one of my favourite things about them is how close we became. They really epitomised that whole family feel. Yeah. They used to come and stay at our house. Um, they all came to my wedding. They all came to my friend, my housemate Ian, the one who put me and Jack in touch in the first place. He got married last year, and they came to that wedding. You know, we're all very, very good friends still. And that was amazing, and it was so nice working with a band where you were that close with them. And I went on so many tours with them, and we just we clicked. And they will always be one of, if not my very favourite band that I worked with, from you know the personality side of it. They're also one of those which it, I just can't understand why more people didn't get into them. I know. I remember watching that video on the uh, is it our secret? I always forget the title of it. Our great and secret show. That's it. Yeah. I just remember coming out. There was that music channel. Mm. it was such a naff music channel but that video got on that music channel and I'd sit and watch it for two hours in case that video came on right I just 
And that's before I knew you, and I only knew of you because of them. Yeah. And I only discovered you because I worked out that they were signed to you, and that's how I first discovered you. Yeah, and that and that's great, and that's like numerous people have said those kind of things over the years, and it's yeah. it's so nice that. And yeah, Second Smile definitely played a part. We still have a lot of fans that have stuck around since those days. And yeah, so that loved that band. Yeah. That's how I'd sum that one up. Um, I know you're a big fan of this one, Meet Me in St. Louis. That one equally is a hugely important band for very similar reasons. Um, we actually signed them on... Second Smile went on tour in Eastern Europe, um, and I went along on that, and their opening band, Meet Me in St. Louis. And up to that point, I'd heard demos, and I just didn't really like it. I thought, musically, it's incredible, but that singer's voice, just... <laughs> I did not like it. I said, this doesn't work. And then I saw them play, and I think the tour was bleak I mean we went through Poland Lithuania Latvia Estonia and playing it was fairly small crowds or modest crowds you know it was up to maybe up, maybe up to a couple hundred people but a couple of shows got cancelled and we ended up staying in Riga for days just sleeping on this guy's office floor um, and I think I kind of bonded I suppose or we all bonded together including with Mimi St. Louis and then seeing them night after night it kind of clicked and Toby's voice made sense and obviously, you know, obviously I grew to love it. We went and released, God knows how many solo albums of his afterwards. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we, we just got on really well. And that band just blew me away. And I think they were just such an important band for that time. Still now. Um, well, yeah, I mean, coming, obviously coming back this year and yeah. going to those shows, just seeing how many people still care about that band. It was, it was crazy. I mean, so they, you know, for people who don't know, that we released their only album in, 2000, in 2007. Like I said, Took out the bank loan, put everything into it. September 27, uh, 27 <laughs> 2007, <laughs> that's not a thing, came out and um, did really well. People really got into it. And then by, was it January 2008? I think he's, in fact, I think it was November 2007, Toby left and uh, we did his final show at the Enterprise in Camden. And then by, and the band tried to continue. And by January 2008, it was all over. Yeah. And, and that was crushing because it just didn't get a proper ending. Um, and over the sort of nine years since, so many people just got more and more into them and it just the name really grew. And it, it, it always struck me as surprising that so many people who I regarded as being the biggest fans of that band never saw them play. Yeah. And we, at various times over those years, have tried to convince them to reform. And there was always a reason why they couldn't. You know, someone was abroad or someone's got a very intense job or is studying. They're all very legitimate reasons. But um, it finally came together. And they all said yes, which we weren't really expecting. So internally, like between us, sort of like you know, the label and, and the promoters of the shows and people who were helping out behind the scenes, we knew about it for ages and we were very excited. But by the time we announced it, we had gone beyond being excited and just got nervous. Yeah. And we were thinking, are we the only ones who still care about this band? Are we going to announce this and it's just going to drop and that's it? And then we announced it and it went crazy. Yeah, and really just, it, yeah it was mad. Like the internet, it just sort of, I say the internet, our tiny bubble of the internet blew up and it was great. I remember going to um, AIM IndieCon, like the music conference, two days later, which, so it's almost exactly a year ago. And um, we put tickets on sale that morning. And it was really early. I was really hungover. I'd gone to two gigs the night before, like some kind of young person. And um, I remember the, the tickets went on sale at nine. And I kind of like during one of the panels looked at my phone and it was maybe quarter past nine. And there was an email to say like we'd done 300 tickets. 
was like, you what? <laughs> and by the time I came out of that panel, I had numerous missed calls because the promoter in London was like, this one's sold out already. We need to get the second one on sale today. I was like, it's what? <laughs> and it was just, we'd, we'd blown through 500 tickets in London within less than an hour. I think Leeds had done maybe 300 straight out of the gates. And the second London show, that went and sold out as well. That took a little bit longer, but it got there. We announced a warm-up show in Guildford, sold out. Uh, it was just numerous things. And we announced them for Arctangent, yeah. um, which was one that we'd had agreed up front. And we sort of said to the promoters, we won't, they won't play more than, I think it was six shows we said. That was yeah. part of the deal. And um, yes, yeah, so they, they ended up playing that. And it only dawned on me as I watched them sort of headlining that stage, thousands of people, and it was sounded amazing, looked amazing, everyone was really into it. It's like, shit, this is their first ever festival. Like, yeah. they never played, because they were so small when they split, they never got well, asked I, to play a festival. I weirdly enough think that they built probably, not even joking, two-thirds of their fan base after they split. I up. think you're right, yeah. It's, it's a weird thing that it's just one of those albums that got discovered by a lot of people later because they like these bands mm. and it's like have you heard this and it's just one of those things that got passed around yeah. after their death which is just yeah it's amazing amazing I, story to come back and it is know. and i think it's just testament to how good they were as a band and yeah. how good their songs were and how no one has really come close to doing what they did no. back then i think it's just they mixed styles and influences and it just it was a perfect little kind of melting pot and that album still stands up. Yeah, totally. It's, it's yeah, amazing. It sounds as good today. Yeah, and so yeah, that again, nothing but amazing words to say. Like they played a big, big part in BSM, not just being here still, but the kind of label we are now. Yeah. Okay. Next band, I was going to uh, say Pulled Apart by Horses because lots of people probably don't know that you released their first. No. Um, so we signed them again. They were another one we picked up before their first show. Yeah. Um, They'd all been in bands around Leeds before. It was something which, of a Leeds supergroup. Which had done quite well, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and we knew one or two of them, and they knew us. Um, and so they sent us a demo. And I remember um, a guy called Ivano, who was interning for us at the time, he loved it. He was like, we have to work with this band. And in all honesty, I wasn't completely sold on it. I was like, it's okay. It's a bit cheesy. I'm not sure on this. And he was like, honestly, we have to do it. And... Um, and it started to click for me. I was like, all right, he's really into this, then so maybe we should do it. So we, we put out this seven-inch single. We paid for them to record it for 150 quid, which is ludicrous. Like, what was it? Was it four songs, including the instrumental yeah. B-side? Um, 150 quid. I, I can't remember who produced it. I don't know why they agreed to that. <laughs> um, but they yeah, recorded it, and it just did great. And it, it came out. They played at Reading Festival a few weeks after, and immediately just you could tell that band was going somewhere. Yeah. It just it was just growing and again another of those where you have that kind of feeling about it I think it was probably at Reading where it really clicked for me when it really I was just like these songs are just fun yeah. this is great yeah. and I remember it's a band obviously you personally are into and we've spoken about before and I think it's just I, yeah, I really like them I think yeah. they're great and I, it's a real shame we didn't get to work with them more we, yeah. we talked about doing an EP together and and then they changed management and the new people just had different ideas yeah. and and it just got lost and it was a real shame because I remember getting an email from their old manager saying right let's do it six track EP let's let's put together a plan and then the next day I got another email being like hey so we've got a new manager I was like oh okay <laughs> what what about this EP and I think the new guys were like well we'll come back to you on that Yeah. and that was seven years ago yeah. <laughs> still waiting <laughs> I think that one's gone can I get one line for chariots? Chariots. 
one line brutal <laughs> yeah. uh, there's one track on that album that, was, that went across all the compilations mm-hmm. I love I yeah. genuinely I think Friends Forever album? I can't remember what it's called I still listen to that now. It goes into if I ever make like a heavy playlist, it always makes it. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Nice. That yeah, that band that was a total left field one for yeah, us at that time. I was going to say because there's nothing else quite like that. No, I do think we've released like things like Caspian uh, and actually the second Talent record in yes. places very very heavy, but yeah, Chariots were heavy in a different kind of way. Yeah. Um, and I I want to work with a band like that again at some point definitely. Yeah. Wicked. That's cool. Um, who should we go for? Talent because yeah. Talent, um, when we started work with them, they must, were they even 18? I was going to say, I remember they were so young. with them, and they were, I think they were younger than 18, yeah. they were about 17, and I still felt embarrassed to be playing with them, because oh, they God. were so much better. So good, it was ridiculous. Um, yeah, somebody sent me a demo, and I loved it, it was really good. I went down to Hereford to meet them, yeah. and went out on like a classic Hereford night out with them, so I think, <laughs> I hope by this point they're 18, or oh, this story is really weird, and um, we went to this curry house, and then I was like, so what do you guys normally do next? And they were like, oh, we normally go and drink um, in the multi-story car park around the corner. It's like, all right. <laughs> I must have been 25 or something by this point, I'd guess. So yeah, off we went to the multi-story car park and had a couple of cans of cider. It's like, now what? And they're like, oh, now we go to this, this club. I think it was called Manhattan's. And, uh, and we drink Jarvis's. And I was like, what the fuck is a Jarvis? And that's named after the guitarist, Sam Jarvis. And I can't remember what goes into it. Basically, he went up and bought like, it's like a pint of Foster's and a bottle of Reef and you pour the two together. Something like that. I was like, cool, let's, let's drink Jarvis's there. <laughs> and that was, that was our night out. And, um, and I, just, I just sort of fell in love with them. I thought they were, they were so funny and, and cool. And like, uh, the band's amazing. And those records they put out are so good. Yeah. Um, Kevin Devine, we can't really miss him because I think he's been such a big staple when it's yeah. especially you were saying for the second generation of BSM. Um, yeah, he does seem like the start of definitely some of the American stuff that you've picked up. Yeah, I think he, he really yeah I think if you look at BSM almost as two parts um, he is the beginning of the second stage um, we signed him at, it was at South by Southwest in 2008 or 9 I'm not sure now but it was kind of after the it must have been a similar sort of time to Pulled Apart by Horses I guess so it was kind of after that math rock kind of thing um, and we were looking to do something a bit different someone played me a couple of songs and uh, I'd never that fussed by it and then I heard one which is on his old MySpace page called Another Bag of Bones and I was just like, this is the best thing I've ever heard. Yeah, so good. And so we, we met up with him and talked and agreed to release Brothers Blood. And that came a while, out a while after. And it's still one of my favourite records, not just that we've released, but in the world. There's so many good, important songs on that. Um, and Kevin's been huge. I mean, we've now done, I actually lose track, um, five studio albums, the live album, numerous singles with him. I've been on various tours with him, with yourself yeah. as well that time you couldn't figure out how to drive into car parks <laughs> um, <laughs> we've done all that um, still on my way into London today I was helping him book all his hotels for his tour which he's actually on already I don't know why he hasn't done this so <laughs> he should have done this you, weeks ago I, uh, for anyone who uh, wants tips on how to book a cheap hotel like you <laughs> are the absolute I think we stayed when we were doing that tour was it one pound you found oh the god yeah that him? was weird that was good though that was a budget tour yeah, yeah. this one isn't quite as cheap for him but he's, <laughs> he's got a few more people to house this time um, yeah Kevin's just been hugely influential and like I love hanging out with him I mean there's um, an interview you did for Gold, uh, Gold Flight Paint last yeah. week 
which if anyone hasn't read it, I completely recommend it because it's just so so wise like the things that he says and he's just he's a very very smart and sensible man and you know he had a a kid um nearly a year ago now i think i think she's one in march maybe and um it's you can tell that he you know he was already a clever guy he's been through some things in the past which he's learned from very very well and come out the other side of it incredibly and i think that's just continuing to evolve as he as he you know grows and musically again he's never had that breakthrough it's just been a slow and steady yeah, increase it's literally, yeah, yeah it's just he's, constant and every tour he comes back plays to more people every record sells more I than the last he's a prime example of someone who I think people think that things will happen like if it doesn't happen within a year it's not going to happen when yeah. you see with him just can't there's no one else that must work harder than him no. he will like maybe increase his audience by 20 to 50 people at a time but yeah. over that many years yeah. it is amazing it, it and, does and add up he has the most loyal fans oh it's crazy ever. I mean you saw it at the shows you know when he finishes and like even if you're standing on the merch they don't want to speak to you they, they form a nice orderly queue and they'll wait for as long as it yeah, takes for Kevin to come back uh, it's crazy isn't it world, so venues are always sort of like what are they doing like what's happening it's like well can you just like you know push the curfew back a bit just give us an extra half an hour because he'll talk to them all yeah. and the thing that I've never understood how he does this is when someone comes up to him and straight away Kevin will be like we've met before in Norwich in 2009 yeah. and yeah. we talked about cabbages and he remembers this stuff he genuinely remembers it he remembers their names he remembers their partners everything and it's astounding I don't know how he does that but that again speaks to the connection he has with his fans and how much it means to him yeah and yeah it's it's great and and he's opened doors for us inadvertently sometimes but just the bands we now get to work with so many bands i've approached and said you know do you want to put out a record and and they look at our roster and they say you work with kevin devine we want to do this and it's amazing and that's that's why i said right back at the start how that line runs through the label that sort of family like the, the lifeline almost and he is such a big part of that so many of the bands have come from from there yeah we again like a lot of these bands you name it we wouldn't be here without him Concrete miles, it's your yawning conscience and your lawyer's smile. It's an occupied country foaming at the mouth. No smoking gun, no mushroom cloud. It's a military mother with a boy in hell. And it's a flag draped casket down an oil well. It's an Argentine schoolgirl gagged and bound. It's a torture camp, it's a long way down. It's the constant racing shock of now. And it's the whole damn world turned inside out alright. Starving in the virgin sky And here's the call 
When Enjoy Eternal Bliss came out, loved it. Yeah. Like, again, that was one we found on MySpace in the Meet Me St. Louis kind of era. And it was such a good record. And we were always talking about the follow-up. And that was supposed to come a year or two after, was it nine years, eight years, nine years? So they finally got in, they got in touch. I remember, in fact, James Zima was saying, I bet you thought this day would never come. And I honestly didn't. I gave up waiting for that so long ago. Yeah. And the album came through. And it's, it's different, but it's it's perfect. It's them. Um and yeah, that's great. And apparently they're working on an EP, which we're going to be releasing this year. So if that, I don't know. I'm not holding my breath this time, <laughs> but I hope it's coming. Oh man, we're cool. And the last one will go for Ladis Butte, because I think they have been, um, I didn't really know much of them before you had signed them. Mm. And then it was like, how have I not known about them? Because then I felt silly when I looked at the shows they're playing. And it's yeah. like, how have I not known about this? They... Uh, them and Modern Baseball are our two biggest bands, I guess, worldwide. And like, they play to thousands of people everywhere they go. That band is hugely important for so many people. Maybe a lot of them are perhaps a few years younger than us. Um, but the number of they're probably our most tattooed band. Yeah. <laughs> There's so many tattoos and quotes around. Um, that yeah, that was great getting to work with them because that was one I didn't think we'd get. Um, I remember when it first came up, I was like, yes, we want this, and really really pushed for it and so happy when we got it and also 
incredibly happy when I heard the record because it's such a good album. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's, I, I genuinely think it's their best. And um, again, see them play. It's something to say, to be honest. Yeah, because they, they've got quite a big body of work and yeah. really good work. I was going to say, as I say, I hadn't actually, I didn't know them until you mm-hmm. started working with them and then the amount of stuff I bought going back since right. I've gone back through it. Right. That's the thing. There's so much there to discover and dig back into, and it's all really good. And they they came over and did a tour um, around I think to support the record, and we did three nights at Bush Hall in London. Um, all sold out. Probably could have done five easily, um, which is crazy. And I remember the first night, just sort of standing there, and I think they opened with, um, with Hudsonville, um, off of Rooms of the House, and it was just like that when it first kicks in when that riff first drops was in my top five live music moments ever i think because it just hit and it just it's a for anyone who's been to that venue it's just such a beautiful little room and it sounded amazing i wasn't sure that a band like that could fit in that venue because you know at that time you well still now you don't really get those kind of shows in there normally and but they had all these visuals going on and it's just when that when it kicked in it's like this is unbelievable and it was just sort of goosebumps you know it's just so good so yeah hopefully there's another album to come and hopefully it's going to be even better but who knows don't want to put any pressure on (laughs) there are bridges over rivers there are moments of collapse there are drivers with their feet on the glass kick but you can't get out there is history in the rooms of the house after dinner do the dishes other hums, the coffee maker hisses On the stove, the steamer crescendo The radio emergency bulletins And everywhere we Got thrown from 
her car into a barbed wire fence. She was six months pregnant. Both her and the baby lived. You tried, but the line or I remember those nights I couldn't get So, I listened to sorority noise this oh, yeah. as well, and that, um, the, the link that you tweeted out. Oh, yeah, no, Halo. Really so good. Yeah. That I mean, we've got a really busy style. Obviously, we've got the, the pop-up shop, which is kind of the fake taking up all of our time right now. Um, the first few releases, we're working with a band called Meatwave from yeah. Chicago. Yeah. Um, Steve Albini produced their record, and that's really cool. That's coming out in February. We've got a modern baseball split 7-inch for their current um, European tour. We then have... Sorority Noise comes out in March, which the album is um, just so good. Yeah. It's If it's not in your top 10 albums of the year, I'll be really surprised. <laughs> um, the song that we've put out, No Halo, is amazing. It's my second favourite song of theirs ever, yeah. and my number one favourite song is still to come from this record. Um, it's, it's a big album. Um, we then follow that with, we have a new Narwhals album, which they've just finished recording. Went to see them in the studio, and that sounds really good. Amazing. That's a... Uh, I don't want to say they're growing up because they actually were never as quite immature as perhaps people thought. They're like, Tom's a very smart guy. This record is, is definitely a step on from what they've done before. Um, so that's all being planned. We've literally okayed their headline tour this morning and yeah. artworks come in, all that stuff. So that's about to go pretty busy. Um, and then after that, we have the Power Bottom album, which is, I should think, uh, it's going to be one of the biggest we release. It's already, like, their name is just yeah. Everywhere. That's that's a crazy thing. I mean, like we, it's, I don't know, six. It's such a good name as well. Is, I know. I dread the day that my parents ask me to explain what it means. But <laughs> it's um, yeah. Like about maybe six to nine months ago, like someone told me about them. They're like, you got to check these out. And initially, I thought they were kidding. Yeah. yeah with that name and, and everything, and, and he briefly described them, and I was just like. Oh, off <laughs> and he's like honestly I have a listen it's your new favourite band I listened to it I was like this is really cool two days later I had this song in my head I was like what is that I can't figure out and he finally clicked it was I Want a Boy um, by Powerbottom off Ugly Cherries and I was like that's such a catchy song that's just amazing and um, so I went off and um, I kept listening to the record and just went in constant rotation and I kept saying to myself, same as with Hop Along and various others, I was like, I will not release this. I don't want to do it. I just want to be a fan. Yeah. I don't have to release everything I like. And 
then about two weeks later, I found myself emailing the manager. Hey, uh, can we release this, please? Um, so we, yeah, we ended up releasing that record, and it was great. They came over, um, toured in December, and all the shows sold out. The press and radio was insane, um, and it just keeps growing. Now, that album initially came out so long ago. Was it 18 months ago? I forget when it first came out in the US now, but it's... Um, it's the longest campaign I think I've ever seen and like inadvertently it's just kept going but the next record is bigger and better it's it's so good it really is and it's a very it's going to be a very important record because it just it covers a lot of issues which people are now just getting better with talking about and so I think it's it's good for that it's well timed for that but I, they're one of those much like Kevin that I would like everybody possible to meet Power Bottom because just to meet them as people it, it really it just cements the love they're just amazing so yeah we have that coming up anyway sorry that's all we can really talk about at this point because everything else is top secret but also just as good well thank you ever so much sorry uh, well happy birthday with the uh, 60 years and congratulations yeah cheers I want a boy to keep the bed warm while I shower I want a boy to keep the bed warm while we're watching TV I want a boy to keep the bed warm when the whole house is freezing I want a boy who isn't anything like me I want a boy who doesn't like to go out shopping I want a boy who thinks it's sexy when my lips Because it's only getting colder 